0: I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. Welcome to the Ag Knowledge Podcast.
1: 2.0! Yep, this is our second season, I guess. We came back after quite a nice summer break from college. I think we're just going to go into what we did this summer and then, you know, some current events or agriculture news that's happened. Well, I guess I'll start. This summer, I, you know, stayed home on our farm in Corridge, Nebraska. I actually got a bucket calf she's Aww. adorable she's so sassy though i think i think we decided on the name sassy she's only mm, a little over a month old i think but oh my gosh she likes to kick up her heels at you our garden thriving because we water it um everything else is so dry we haven't mm-hmm. had hardly any rain except for this past week um We've gotten, I think, six inches now in one week.
0: So, it didn't come, like, in southeast Nebraska. We worked really good on rain, but I feel like up here it was, like, none all summer and then all at once this week. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. No, um, there's a couple towns around here. There's Osmond, Nebraska, and I think they got, like, almost nine inches yesterday oh my. alone. And then there's a part of Iowa that got 20 inches the past month. I mean, we needed it, but maybe not not all at once, and probably not at the end of the growing season when everyone's, you know, now chopping for silage and harvesting their corn. Yeah. But, you know. Timing was a little
0: off, but better late than never. True. Uh,
1: Yeah, I planted these, they're called tiger melons. They're, like, I don't know, a little bit bigger than, like, a softball, and... Not a huge fan. They taste like a mild um. What are the green melons? Honeydew? Honeydew. Honeydew. Yeah. Not not a huge fan.
0: Um. Well, at least you tried something new. Yeah. I
1: I was excited. We couldn't figure out what it was for the longest time because my cousin gave them to me like plant starts, and he's like he said something melon, and I couldn't remember what he said, and we're like, is it a cantaloupe? Because around here we just call it a melon. Mhm. And so I finally like. Asked him because I thought, well, maybe, like he started them, so he should know, and maybe he just either didn't tell us or I didn't catch it. And so he told me, and I had to look it up because I had never heard of it either. But yeah,
2: I took my summer in like all at once. I was super busy. I took I think four classes plus a three credit three credit internship um, in my hometown of Sutton at the Clay County News. There, I was a reporter and a photographer, so I did a lot of coverage with like the festivals that were in town because we kind of went back to normal, pre-COVID normal, um, with all of our celebrations and such. So I got a cover. Um, our town has a Dugout Days, which is our summer, summer festival, and we had a concert who we hired Ian Mussink, um, the country singer, to play. So I got to photograph his uh, concert and i was like mm, do i post this on like you know my social media or not and i ended up deciding i did want to so i did and i like did hashtag ian musing concert kind of like that did some branding and such and i thought nothing of it at first when i got a notification it said ian musing liked your post i'm like "Ah, i can't be him but then I like clicked on the profile and it had that little like blue certified check mark. And I'm like, oh my God, Ain Munsink liked my post. But other than like class and my internship, which was my work, I attended a couple of tractor shows. Um, as you know, my family collects Alice Chalmers tractors. So we went to Hutchinson, Minnesota um, at the end of July. And that was the largest all-Alice show held in the U.S., which is part of the Upper Midwest Division. So I got to hang out with some of uh, our family friends and got to see a lot of restored tractors and other implements there actually took a quick road trip to California um, at the end of July also to pick up two kind of special tractors. They are limited edition kind of tractors. I won't go into it just because I know most of our listeners probably don't know a lot about Alice Chalmers and all that surrounds
0: them. But I kept my summer pretty busy. How about you, Claire? So I was a nanny this summer. Um, Not a whole lot of farm work involved. in Danning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was in Lincoln most of the time so again I was not in a rural area not a whole lot of opportunities there but um, definitely still went home and had some I would always go to my grandma's and she would have fresh green beans straight from the garden which if you have not had green beans straight from the garden best food ever so addicting like you don't even wash them just pluck Just the ends off, off pluck the ends off and start munching because it's the best thing you'll ever taste I love doing it that with snap peas oh yeah. sugar snap, snap peas. pieces my oh, younger sister love
2: loves doing that snap peas um her and my great grandma do that and they'll consume the entire garden worth oh. oh yeah
0: is there any other way yeah we
2: do that with the radishes too mm, yeah.
0: yeah but really good so like i mentioned earlier southeast nebraska We had plenty of rain, like, whenever we were like, oh, it's getting a little dry, it would rain, like, the perfect amount, so we were very blessed as far as that went. Agnes is (sighs) giving me a dirty look right now. (laughs) It's been so rough up here we had very little snow
1: concerning what we've had in previous years and so we had no moisture going into spring mm-hmm. and then spring came and we got like maybe two inches and then that was in may like mid-may and then we didn't get like anything in june like anything worth counting july like it was like the weekend after the fourth or something where we got like two and a half inches or so and then nothing So all the, and most farmers around us have irrigation pivots and everything, but like you can tell where there's sand in those fields because it's just dead. And like my family, um, we rent out most of our land and we don't have irrigation on any of it, but we have a couple like hay fields. Yeah, our first cutting was equivalent to like what we would get off like second or third cutting and we haven't even gotten a second cutting yet off of our grass field our alfalfa field we did but like again basically what we would get off of third cutting Mm -hmm. so and like we're thankful for the rain now but it's also it's like people have already started cutting their corn for silage because there's no point in harvesting it really
0: yeah because the corn obviously the saying is knee high by the fourth of july so obviously there's a lot of corn fields by my house Mm -hmm. on the way to different places driving and that stuff was like me high by the 4th of (laughs) july which honestly isn't saying that much but i mean still it was so tall and so green it was just like it was like the most beautiful corn i've ever seen in a while
1: around here like you couldn't really like the corn wasn't showing the stress yet like the beans were Mm -hmm. like the beans were awful like they weren't even covering the um ground yeah they They weren't fully bushed out yeah they weren't bushed out yet the corn was still like tall i mean considering you know the lack of rain and everything but we had the heat and humidity that it corn likes (laughs) yeah it really likes but right now it's like you can tell the corn is not doing good
2: (laughs) we We had a good start to our season down in south central nebraska um like you said your corn was you high um it was about that um down in my area our beans were thriving but before coming back to college at the beginning of august you could really tell that "Mm, we need some more rain because we did have um a decent amount of rain but we did have to start our um, center line pivots earlier than most years but uh you can see the stress in it now
1: yeah around here people have been like running their irrigation 24 7 Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh like i know you feel like you need to but then at the same time it's like we're in a drought yeah maybe be a little bit more conscientious of like how much water we're
0: using Mm -hmm. because you never want to run out of water (laughs) no
1: especially Um. when
0: you're pumping from
1: you know the oglala.
0: I guess I should also say for people listening who can't see me, I'm four foot tall. That's why it's funny that I said me high by the 4th of mm-hmm. July. That's the joke there is that I'm short. So <laughs> just for reference. Yeah,
1: I'm 5'7". So every time you see us, like if you follow us on Instagram or whatever, and you see pictures of me, me Whitney and Claire standing together, it's Claire.
0: <laughs> it's Claire. I'm standing in the middle usually. And everyone else in, is either yeah. squatting or sitting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because we all can't fit into a picture otherwise. <laughs> um, but anyway, this summer I also saw Temple Grandin.
1: Wow. Really? Um, I I didn't talk to her because we went to the Omaha Zoo, and I would I don't know. I feel like when someone like popular like that is out in public, like you, you don't know, want to harass tour, them and be
0: that person. I don't <laughs> want
1: to be that person, I, and you know. I,
2: Uh, Whitney and I might get the opportunity Mm -hmm. to see her uh, middle September? September 15th. Uh, We'll talk about this later, but uh, we might be attending a conference um, held by the UNL Extension Office. And
1: and she's going to be there giving a a talk yeah so maybe i'll get to meet her there but it was mm-hmm. still like so cool because like we walked by and i looked at my brother and his friend that was with us because this is the time like everyone was still wearing masks yeah like inside so you the building really <laughs> yeah and so we're like was that was that her and like we all look at each other and we're like looking backwards trying to like look again and we're like that's temple grand and guys and then i obviously had to like message the
0: group chat to whitney and claire and be like yeah i, I just re- saw i remember you sending <laughs> yeah. that message now that you say that okay but we got a little off topic there sorry about that so i'm gonna <laughs> circle back <laughs> um circle back to um this article i found it's from nebraska ad connection the article is titled nebraska crop progress right on target and it um the article came out today and it's basically just kind of showing the percentage numbers on how um, corn soybeans all that good stuff is doing so it's looking pretty good as far as percentages go we're on target or above target um so that's really cool we love to see that um obviously successful crops maybe um some good research into new strains of crops that are doing better yields. So, um, always good to see progress on that front and we always want to see obviously good yields so we can feed people and get good paychecks out of it.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's it's going to really help the markets um, with everybody like taking their corn and making it silage instead of like harvesting the corn itself because the corn markets have been a bit low um, in the previous years compared to, what was it? I think we had $10? No. I don't remember what year it was, but it was like astronomical prices of, for corn. And then everybody like tore up their fields, planted corn. And which, it dropped off. Which <laughs> you should not do. And it, it, yeah, the price plummeted because there was a surplus of corn. Oh,
0: that's and, the, yeah, supply, supply, and the <laughs> supply and
1: demand. Supply and demand kind of kicked in. And, Very
0: important economic lesson. <laughs> But yeah. So then my other my other summer story is obviously the best part about summer is going to county fairs and everything. So much fun. Love the rides. Um love all the 4H FFA projects we get to see. Mm-hmm. It's always cool to see definitely kids being able to engage in agriculture and also have a fun time doing it, which is awesome. Um so I found on the American Farm Bureau Foundation for Agriculture website the American Farm Bureau Foundation for Agriculture awarded a $9,500 grant to 10 communities. And um, one of those communities was actually the Lancaster County Farm Bureau in Nebraska. So um, they plan to add an exhibit about science of growing corn to the Fun on the Farm engagement engagement zone at county fair which is really awesome and then visitors would also be able to interact with that by bringing home corn plants so they can watch them grow Mm -hmm. which is really cool so the whole purpose of this grant was to kind of engage people in all ages about learning about agriculture obviously if you've listened to the podcast before um, one of the things we really push is ag education ag literacy um, so everyone can know Um, the hard work that's put into their food and not take that for granted and be able to kind of um, engage and be conscious about what we're eating and where we're getting our products from. So I thought that was another cool article that I wanted to mention that ties in with summer fun. So I'm glad that like Lancaster did that plant corn and like take it home and watch it because I know like a
1: lot of schools around here, they'll do like a Mother's Day basket or whatever where they'll start plants in the classroom, like flowers or whatever. But that's really, that's exciting to see that they're doing more stuff because
0: I'm assuming it's like in a
1: community building or something. It
0: would be at like the Lancaster Event Center, which is on the- On the fairgrounds. Yeah, it's on the, what, what side of Lincoln am I trying to think? Hold on, I have to, it would be on the east side of Lincoln is the fairgrounds. And they also had the uh, National Rodeo, High School Rodeo thing there too. So oh, that's cool. where that was as well. That, yeah. Um. So that's the facility that I'm talking about. Um. So they usually have a lot of rides there and fun, different interactive activities. Like you would see at any county fair really, yeah. but it's a little bit bigger because obviously that's right out of Lincoln. So you get a lot of um. Mm-hmm lincoln people see
1: i was glad that the county fair like at our home hometown cedar county sorry um it's bigger because like last year like compared to last year Mm -hmm. um like a lot of 4-hers like just didn't even like bother to submit items or even show their animals because again like covid COVID, yeah it was really hard for um especially for like little kids to like understand that um this is how we're gonna have to like show animals this year Mm -hmm. and i think like for showing they just brought their animals showed and then left
2: right away so like they weren't left
1: on the fairgrounds
2: that was the same with ours in um, clay county that's how they did it last year was you brought your animals you showed them and you took them home so no one was lingering on the fairgrounds so you couldn't it was less likely i should say to transmit covid spread Mm -hmm. covid yeah and then this year, our regional Dairy Goat Show, which was held in Clay County, was ginormous. Yeah? There was extra people? A ton of extra people. I don't know. I don't remember how many exactly it was, but it was Now that you half it. a day, I would remember. No, it was a full day event, actually. Oh, my god. Yeah.
1: The, but Cedar County, like, now that she, like, mentioned mm-hmm. more goats, like, Cedar County had, like, triple the amount of goats we usually wow. have. But, like, we only had, like, three sheep see like ours it was so skewed like usually we have three families that mm-hmm. have like you know probably two or three kids each that bring goats and show them like not dairy like more meat goats uh-huh, yeah but this year we actually had la mancha's there <gasps> wow that's goats- my favorite goats are
0: trending over sheep everyone get rid of your sheep <laughs> goats are in sheep are out well i, well, think, I think that's
1: the- a large portion though is because goat and sheep prices have really gone up in the past mm-hmm. year and a half i think because even like we sell meat goats, obviously,
2: and the prices have been great for us, but yeah. I think it was a trend just like um, how people bought a bunch of chickens. They wanted to farm fresh eggs with mm-hmm. the pandemic, so they decided, oh, let's uh, start with dairy goats or sheep and you know, try to get into that, and then they learned that it's kind of easy to raise these livestock, and you get multiple products out of it. Like yeah. dairy goats, you get the milk, you can make soap cheese. yep cheese if you know how to process that correctly, then you you know you can show it and then if you want to at the end of the well, end it, of like the fair year, you can sell it to, yeah. to the well, market. And, and then, to have
1: milk, you have to have the babies and so yeah. like most of them you can either sell the females as other milkers or mm-hmm. some people harvest the meat from the billies, yeah. which are the male goats. Yeah, you can get a lot of product from one animal.
2: Our um, Clay County, I should say, had a very steep divot in our horse show. And I think there was two other things that tied into that one. Um, Our county fair is kind of dying, just putting that out there. And then I think there was also another horse show around the time that we had our county fair. Oh, yeah. Which was, um, it was probably even like a regional show. So yeah. that's what took almost all of our horse... Um, exhibitors from county fair so
0: I feel like a lot more people were just out and about at county fairs and just in general doing summer activities because last year we were you know still pretty quarantined still pretty locked up so I feel like this summer um when kind of the restraints were broken everyone was like now I'm gonna do everything all at once and then they did
1: (laughs) I think people became more thankful that like we have these events so that they can go Mm -hmm. and appreciate them more which is is nice. You know, you have people walking through barns looking at all the livestock instead Um, of only going to the concerts and stuff.
2: We had concert, demo derby, figure eight races, some inflatables, and then our static exhibits. There was a bunch, and which was great to see from the change from last year, where there was hardly anything to show off, and a lot went to state fair this year. My younger sister, Elizabeth, took her taxidermy and pie there and she got purple on both and then a special recognition for taxidermy Wow! um, because there is so select few Mm -hmm. that do get entered at the county level and then go on to the state level so that was great to see seeing that she she ages out next year Mm -hmm. but she graduated um, high school now she's in college and all that so it's just it takes a little bit more time and planning to actually compete in 4-H with all that extra stuff now.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, we had a lot of static exhibits too, but not nearly as much as there was like two years ago before COVID, oh, yeah, pre-COVID. but I think that like they made it up through the livestock because there were more goats and there were more cattle than there had previously been. Like, the horses, the horse showing was about the same as it usually is, I think. It's like a give and take. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, most families do that though. Like, if they show livestock, they won't do static exhibits, which are just like little
0: projects people do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Yeah. I always like looking at the little products though. It's so cute. Especially like the little kid ones. You're like, Oh, they tried so hard. I know. Oh, like all and, the clover uh, kid it, Yeah. Yeah, and intri- all their They're entries so are so cute. adorable. And you can get like some good ideas for mm-hmm. And um, there's like like the fairy gardens, garden. the table settings, oh, yeah. photography. Like there's a ton of different stuff to look and, at. Like you can get purple ribbon recipes
1: mm-hmm. in
0: the cooking section. Like what more would you want, you know? Yeah. Let me just go copy all these down real quick. <laughs> well, we have phones now. You can take a picture. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> snapshot, snapshot. I feel like oh, that's snapshot. cheating, though, because nothing's better than a handwritten recipe. True. To be honest. True. Like, I'm not going to find the same thing on all recipes that I would in, like, my, my grandma's handwriting that's but not you very could... specific. <laughs> you could very take a vague photo. measurements. You could take a not photo. Not even, of the... like, if I cook... Agnes, if I cook at my grandma's house, she won't let me use measuring tools. She'll it'll be like a fourth of a cup of milk and she'll just be like, "Oh, just eyeball it."
2: So, are you talking about okay. cooking or baking? Because, like, cooking, you both. can eyeball it.
0: Literally both. <laughs> She's a master. I'm not kidding. Like, she can eyeball anything, and it'll be exactly right. I eyeball when I bake. But
2: baking's supposed to be more of a science than cooking.
0: Okay. Um, I have one last thing that I'm going to share, and then I'll give the reins over to somebody else. Um, So... We like to talk about education. We like to talk about misinformation and kind of writing that. So I have a, I saw an Instagram post the other day, um, and it says, fun statistical fact, cows are about 300 times more likely to kill you than coyotes. And then it has another thing that says, minor side note to statistical fact, if it was common for people to keep several hundred coyotes on their property and routinely chase them into a corral and handle them, this statistic would be different. And that's just kind of a representation of how we present um, data and different statistics really matters because if you put it into a certain perspective it's going to um, give people kind of a different image than if you were to like present it with kind of all the facts and like really think about what that means and who put it in that perspective and why it's kind of presented that way to you so it's really important to um, evaluate not only what the fact is but where it's coming from who's doing it what purpose it's for so yeah I just wanted to sprinkle that in there real quick well if you don't have the context
1: Behind a statistic, the statistic kind of gets skewed because, mm-hmm. like, when you hear that, you're like, Oh, cows are so dangerous, but well, I mean, and they can be, they're a prey item, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you corner them, their fight or flight is going to turn to fight. Um, yeah. where you know, a coyote most generally is also going to choose flight over fight, yeah, because they're a smaller prey item or not prey, predator. predator, but. Yeah, if you look at the con- – because if I would have just heard that and not even, like, thought about, you know, mm-hmm. how we handle cattle, I would have been like,
0: whoa. If you've, like, never been around cows before, that would make you think, oh, cows are pretty dangerous. Really? Most cows I've been around, they cows don't care. They're just hanging out, eating. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what they do. But it's just how you handle them and approach them. And so obviously, sometimes when there's a lot and you're trying to put them all into one truck, it gets a little – gets a little, gets a little dicey. Um, I remember my dad came, he handles cows at work and he kind of got cornered and had like a huge bruise on his torso that was like green and purple. And I mean, obviously, it wasn't a matter of like he did something wrong. It was just what the situation was, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But um, it's like, you can get injuries and stuff, but it's just kind of part of the job. And as long as you're handling and following, you know, safety precautions, knowing how to approach and handle those animals, you're going to be better off than if you're just like going into it blind and walking up to animals from the back. Oh, yeah. Don't walk up to animals Especially, from the back. <laughs> like any animal that
1: outweighs you mm-hmm. probably is better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. Well, like, even if
0: they don't outweigh
2: you, if you see a goat, like, oh, yeah, a ghost ghost so goats hit don't you. outweigh most uh, adult humans so even if they're like But like like, they can do some damage. I mean, even
0: geese and stuff will get mean on you if you mess with a goose. They'll chase you and they will not quit.
1: Yeah, a a goose can really it can break bones though because they smack it with their wings. Mm -hmm. But I've been pinned against a door by a billy goat before. Uh So it like he didn't actually have that Mm -hmm. much pressure on me, but it was still enough for me to be like, I should probably pay attention. Yeah. Because we have this goat we're trying to catch, and he's trying
2: to you know fight and flight, get -hmm. out of there. Maybe I should be a little bit more cautious of Mm -hmm. myself. We used to raise um, cow-calf hares, and we would baby them so much because they were bottle-fed. And then once they grew up, they're like, oh, hey, I recognize you. You're the person that fed me. Let's play. But, you know, they're like... 1,500. (laughs) It's like 100 more pounds than you, and they're starting to grow horns. It's like, "Mm, no, I'm going to run and climb the fence.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's like another thing, too. Like, they're not domesticated Yeah. As much as we would like to think, because again, they just think they're playing with you, yep.
2: mm-hmm.
1: but they don't realize they that they're they bigger than you. But now. I mean,
0: like that—that that goes for life. But even dogs, like my brother's dog, is literally as big as me. So my brother like taught him how to hug. So he'll go up on his legs and like put his hands on your shoulders. He like he doesn't realize that. Then he'll do like Boomer is the dog's name. He'll try to do it to me. And one morning he gives me a big old hug. Well, I I'm like up against my dad's truck, and I have this dog just on top of me. I can't move him because he weighs more than me. And I'm just like, what do I do? Boomer, get off me, please! Get off me! <laughs> what kind of dog is it? He is a um oh Great Pyrenees Lab mix. See,
2: we have a Great Pyrenees uh, mix, and we do that. We dance with him, not like circus kind of dance just one two step mm-hmm. and then we go down but yeah he's i'm five four and he's just as tall as me his front paws yeah. uh, are on my shoulder if he stands up straight and he's like 200 pounds maybe yeah. you know all muscle and you see him go approach someone yeah. like frail and small and you're just like oh no enzo don't like do that
0: they, like they're trying to be like he he didn't do it to like hurt me obviously mm-hmm. he thought he was playing with me but yeah. still like i'm so little that if i didn't know he was being friendly i'd be like i'm about to die right now
1: (laughs) going back to you know current events i got one it's from farm futures magazine just for a little context to this article in 2018 california was trying to pass a law or not a necessarily the law but a a guideline guideline called uh prop 12 which was an animal welfare law that sets minimum space requirements for hens, veal calves, and breeding sows. This law would make it so that sows would require 24 square feet of space. Um, Right now the average is 18 to 20 square feet, so that's that's a significant amount of space difference. So, this article is the California law could bankrupt Midwest farmers. And now it's important to also think California is a big state. I mean, they have a large population. And, you know, the Midwest is the biggest suppliers of pork, um, especially Iowa. I'm pretty sure they're number one. I think so. Um, but this rule would make it so that California buyers could not buy pork that was made in or like these sows were kept raised, in those conditions, yeah, were, crepe, were kept in less than 24 square feet. Mm hmm. Now, this is important to think about because um, this means that every confinement operation throughout the United States, if they are, you know, marketing toward the California market, which is, I mean, most pork, you know, just get put together, right? And then California will buy what they need or they, you know, have it themselves. This means that concentration animal confinements would have to change their layouts and um, buildings and everything like that. because these sows are, you know, raised in buildings. They're not raised Mm -hmm. outdoors anymore. But anyway, I can see why this law was made. And personally, I feel like it's a good direction. I've worked in a hog confinement before, not very long, mind you, but it was enough to like see the conditions. And I don't know, I never really wanted to ever work in a hog confinement because my own personal morals, ethics, whatever you want to call them, I don't, I don't like... The way they're set up, I'll just put that out there. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, um, but I can understand why they are the way they are. Unfortunately, that does still make me biased. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when you're taking just one state making this law, and then you know, I'm just gonna say f- the 47 because Alaska and Hawaii are, you know, not within the actual United States or the you know con- islands.
0: They're not in the continental United States. Yeah.
1: Um, this means that everybody else has to change their practices, which is great. It's a great stepping
0: point. Yes, Claire. See, the thing with this is I feel like there's a lot of different considerations to be made. Um, Obviously, land is an issue. There's only so much land. It's pretty expensive to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, lumber was a really high cost as well is. recently. Yeah. So a lot of money is going to be spent trying to make those upgrades, whatever you call them. So that obviously impacts especially smaller farms, um, which are already kind of struggling um, usually. So I think you kind of have to consider all sides of it and really think about what This is honestly like a little bit of an ethical dilemma, really. Because like you don't, obviously you want to be as humane as possible, but there's still so much that has to be done economically. It's really like the triple bottom line, which is people, um, people, planet, and profit. So that's kind of a thing to consider, like what's it doing to the planet, which would obviously be um how are the how are the cows being treated mm-hmm. and then how does that reflect on the environment and that would also kind of be the land issue as well mm-hmm. how are we utilizing the land can we do it more efficiently people would be kind of um how is this affecting our farmers how is this affecting people who are going to consume the pork and then profit is the economic side of it yeah. so yeah. you kind of have to make a big fat pros and cons list and really think about you really have to consider all the possibilities before you like take a side on those issues right Um, because I mean obviously different people are going to see it from different points Mm -hmm. of view Mm
1: -hmm. and obviously you're going to have the big not necessarily big producers but the producers of pork are going to you know stand there and fight for their ground Mm -hmm. because this article goes into economics right because that's the whole point of the article so today an average barn might cost um 1600 to 2500 per sow for a barn but this new rule would mean that an average sow per you know per barn or whatever Mm -hmm. would be 3400 so that's a significant increase in Um, the cost
0: of production yeah and then you're having less sows per barn Because then on the other side of that, that would probably raise the prices because you're paying Mm -hmm. more for the production. So then when Mm -hmm. it gets to California, are people going to be like, why is pork so expensive now? And then they're going to be probably a little bit upset about it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, because this rule went into place, the costs went up. So therefore your cost goes up. Like that's just how it works sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. if you want it to, if you want to have this certain guideline in place then this is the consequence of that action yeah.
1: and and this article does mention the rising price it says if the law stands in california at least the humble pork taco could become more costly than a porterhouse steak porterhouse steaks are expensive i That's don't like
0: pretty top quality yeah steak.
1: i i don't know what it is but a taco compared to a steak i'm gonna have the steak i'm
0: sorry (laughs) that makes me sad because pulled pork is so good (laughs) oh i don't like pulled
1: pork oh i can't do it are you serious i'm serious if it has a barbecue on it you can count me out i know i'm weird i I can add my own barbecue but if it's cooked in barbecue i can't do it see
0: i don't like pork chops but i'll eat pulled pork all day oh i I love pork loin um, it's one of my favorite
2: pork loin if it's made right Oh, we've perfected it down to like <laughs> the T. And back to, you know, like the prices, a porterhouse steak's going to be anywhere between like $15 and $25. Which is
1: crazy for a taco. Yeah. Just that for one be taco. A big taco.
2: <laughs> it better be like a 10 pounder taco where. I have to sign a contract saying, I'm not going to sue this place because I'm going to consume that much food. It's like, you know, on...
0: Like those TV food games. challenges? Yeah, that, like that. That guy who, like, eats all the challenge yeah. stuff. What TV show? Man versus food or whatever it's called. I think so. It's I think on- there's a couple different versions of it because I think there's, like, a couple YouTubers who do that kind of stuff yeah. as well.
2: But something along the lines is, it's, it's got to be, like, an outrageous amount of food for that oh, price, yeah. but... But it says that less than 4% of
1: U.S. sow farms have, have changed their structure to mm-hmm. accommodate accommodate the yeah. California law. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> um while the state constitute or like buys about fifteen percent of the US pork demand, only one point nine of the US pork production occurs there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because I So think... they're importing more than they're having in house yeah. basically.
2: Because yeah I think like I think like one third of all pork is produced in Iowa.
1: It has to be because I, I think Iowa's still number one. Yeah, they were number one they are in
2: twenty fifteen or something, but well, How many millions of hogs are raised each year there? A, cr- a crazy amount. amount.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that was a really cool article, Agnes, and I feel like that gave us a lot to talk about. And we kind of got to explore some cool things like ethics that we haven't really talked yeah. about before. So I thought that was a good choice on your behalf <laughs> to bring up. And I should now, mention, the, the article came out in the July-August
1: edition. If, okay. If someone wants to go in year? like... Yes. Of okay. 2021. Okay. So if someone wants to go,
0: you know, check read more... Check it out. Check <laughs> it out.
1: Just so, you know, you can get the full article because mm-hmm. I didn't cover yeah. everything that's in this We kind of cherry
0: pick it a little bit yeah. because we only have so much time. But now yeah. Whitney has an article that she would like to share yes, with it us. It also pertains to
2: food. So everyone knows that it's football season, which leads to tailgating because everyone likes to enjoy a good tailgate before watching the big football game on Saturdays unless it was last weekend but besides that point you know <laughs> um like a lot of us don't necessarily know how to handle food um if you're you haven't been raised in like that kind of environment or are aware of like the guidelines of handling food and like keeping it cool cuz you know if your meat gets to a certain degree like temperature i mean
1: if it stays consistently at a
2: not cooked temperature (laughs) yeah it can form bacteria that bacteria can do a lot of harm in your body and other stuff so like storing your um coolers with a lot of ice and having your meats towards the bottom if not at the very bottom are going to keep it cold because you have everything on top of that radiating the coolness down did you say where you found this article this uh came out of the oklahoma state university just today actually as they are also preparing for their big
0: football season since they also have a football team <laughs> yes
2: and then you know not everyone cooks everything at your tailgate so like pre-made dishes um and leftovers also need to go into a cooler so keep refrigerated not at room temperature Yes. Yeah, and exactly. making sure to cook it to the proper temperature mm-hmm. So you can find, if you don't know those off the top of your head, you can find them on almost any production website. I know, you, I know you
1: can, yeah. Beef It's What's for Dinner has a whole table for or every kind of Or you could just, meat. like,
0: Google it. I know my mom has, like, a magnet that has cooking too. temperatures mm-hmm. on it. So, I mean, there's a bunch of different resources. Or if you just you buy can, a meat thermometer, it has yeah, it on the packaging. You can print it off. You can find a magnet for it. You can find an article for it. So or definitely look it up and make sure your meat is safe because you don't want to get stomach disease. Oh, no. Yeah. Like us, we
2: use um, Green Mountain and Traeger grills. They're pellet-fueled grills other than like charcoal people use that and then propane grills. But, um, you know, preheating your grills like 10, 15 minutes before you're going to actually put your meat on or whatever you're serving um, will help kill off any bacteria
0: between your usage and... Well, just like you would preheat an oven, really. Like, think about it like that. It's just an outside oven.
2: And then that, after preheating, you know, it allows that food to cook evenly. Because if you would put it on, like, a cold grill, it's not going to be evenly heated. But if you let your grill warm up for 10, 15, 20 minutes, you're going to have a more evenly cooked food. And then the it's going to have a nice crispy. Yeah, you'll have those have crispy outside and yeah. grill marks. Everyone likes a grill mark on a burger. It's a st- aesthetically pleasing. And then keeping that food hot when you're serving it and not letting it be like room temperature if you're in like an RV or something or like outside temperature cuz then bacteria and not good stuff like starts to tend to accumulate in like the same with cold stuff.
0: I would also say um don't leave it sitting out all day uncovered because flies and stuff on food Mm -hmm. are not the most hygienic. So, um, probably have it sit out for an hour when everyone's kind of course through, put a lid on it, put foil on it, put saran wrap on it, um, put it away in a fridge if you need to put it where it needs to go. And then just, if you, if people are still coming, just be like, okay, it's here. You can do it. You're a big girl. I believe in you. Warm up your own food, do this. So that way it's kind of just, more hygienic, also with the with the bug mm-hmm. population to consider. Yeah.
2: And um, this Oklahoma State article says food should not be left out more than one hour if it is above 90 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Um, Good
0: job, Claire. <laughs> I just made that up, so I'm kind of glad that it was
2: accurate. We would have told you if it wasn't, so, you know.
0: Well, it usually yeah. takes about an hour for everyone to kind of course through and yeah. get their first and second, so I was just, yeah. I was just softballing it. <laughs>
2: And then throw away anything uh, perishable if you don't eat it within like that hour or put it away in a cooler if you see that everyone's gone through the line of food and like ask, but like, is everyone done? And then, you know, put that cold stuff away or put that heated stuff away. You could leave out like the non-perishable food out for people that need a snack. This article also tells a couple of the degrees your food should be at. So, like, a hamburger and brat should be at 160 degrees, while steaks and chops should be at 145 degrees, and with a 15-minute rest period afterwards. Gotta make sure the juices juices stay in. Yep.
0: Retain.
2: That's just, like, any time you're preparing food, you should let it sit and rest. Gotta let it rest.
0: Get all the flavors mixed in. (laughs) it's got properly. a post marinate
1: so you can consume it. I you you were mentioning, you know, hamburgers.
0: I just looked
1: over at this magazine that I have. I, I I like to, you know, pick apart magazines, but this one it says Nebraska produces approximately one in every four hamburgers and steaks sold in the US.
0: Oh. That's nice. from that's from the Nebraska Soybean Board. So that's accurate. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that's kind of cool when you think about it though cuz yeah. that has to be like that's a
1: lot. That's like I wonder how much Iowa has, though. Because Iowa sells, I think they have more beef
2: than us now. I think we're like down in like the third. Seven or something. Really that far? I I don't know. I haven't looked in
1: years. (laughs) I'm not in animal science classes anymore. Whitney's looking it up. It's
2: okay. Nebraska is number two in the beef production right oh, behind we're, texas we're
1: way
0: above what i thought
2: yep so nebraska texas and kansas account for about 27 of cattle inventory for the u.s and Yeah, i was
0: like towards the bottom of that list on her really? computer
2: and this is um this came out like last week on um, what
0: site are you looking at beef to live or is it beef to live <laughs> it is, is that- beef to live i read it <laughs> right. but, okay is that is that who
1: sold how much ever in or how much in the past month, or is that
2: average yearly? Yearly. Oh, it is year- yearly. Yes. It's got a 2018. So, kind of according to your, like, your article, yeah. bouncing back to that date. Yes. So it goes it's Texas, worth. then Nebraska, then Kansas, and I was down at seven. Ah. Oh, so I switched them.
1: <laughs> yeah. ne- I thought Nebraska was down at seven. Yeah. I know yeah. Iowa is pretty good in um, pork and I think soybean. Or corn, corn. It's corn.
2: It's It's a grain. But beef to live. Yeah,
0: one of them. Beef to live says
2: Texas has about thirteen percent of the cattle.
0: They also have a lot more land to keep them on. To be fair, well, there's the second populous state,
2: like you know, behind California. Yeah. Well, they're also They
1: they do a lot more pasture than confinement operations. I think.
0: I would assume. I don't know. I can't really know anything about Texas. Any they could have hog hunting. Moral of the story: Any
1: agriculture that's not, you know, explicitly Nebraska. We are
0: we are locally oriented. <laughs> we are not nationally oriented. So keep that in mind. Unless it's an article that we read. Unless it's an article that we read. We yep. or, or the research we do. Or the research.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. I I do have another article b- b-
0: b- b- about um ag
1: ag gag lawsuits. What in Arkansas? Do you know what a gag... Okay, you were in com law, you know what a gag order is, right? Yeah. You like, can't talk about it. You can't talk about it. Yeah. So, in Arkansas, there's been a lawsuit uh, that's been around for years about how ag law would define how to uh, quote-unquote gag whistleblowers and undercover activists and punishing them for recording footage of what goes on in animal agriculture. So, like, a couple years ago, there was someone that, like, went undercover and I think... Was it Highland Dairy? and they took footage of someone for lack of better words beating this calf um and just neglect and abuse which not every farmer is a good guy it's like everyone it gets into
2: corporate especially
1: politics. corporate and then you have just the people that
0: want to make a quick buck this gag order well
1: the thing about
0: that really though is that it makes everybody look bad
1: yeah, yeah. so this arkansas this is an arkansas this ag gag law that is a mouthful wow agriculture gag law would authorize farms and other businesses to sue for as much as five thousand per day if an undercover investigator records in an, an operation secretly without mm-hmm. the owner's knowledge and shares the information in a way that harms business especially with Like PETA activists, we see that a lot, like a lot, a lot, especially in lamb and veal and piglets and poultry. Anything that's cute, little, and can quickly get someone's eye, Mm -hmm. they will target it because... They will play on your emotions really, really pull, quick.
0: Pull those heartstrings. Yep. And again, there's there's always bad people in every profession. I'm not excusing their behavior. But again, when we talk about like news values and stuff in journalism, it's not the good people who get attention. It's the bad people. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that's all you hear about is the bad side of it. So then your your image is then tainted by this one person or this few people who have made the majority look really unprofessional and awful right when really that is probably not the case so it's like again it's important to have like context for the situations like i understand whistleblowing when something's bad but at the same time you have to think about how that's going to make an impact and how it's going to be interpreted too yes exactly well
1: and let's say someone does go undercover and they find severe neglect and abuse happening and not even like severe just malpractice right there's so many better ways to go about it than just putting it on on the internet internet. yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. which their whole point though is to shut these facilities down Mm -hmm. we could also go and just go straight to court and be like here's the evidence here's the proof and they get fined and then i'm pretty sure after so many offenses, they get shut down. Mm-hmm.
0: And then well, or that even a change also, of ownership. That would also probably put you on a list that people would check up on or, right. like, regularly and, and, inspect just because yeah. they, like Agnes said, there's a better way to go about doing it to really enact change in a mm-hmm. more positive way um, because you have to think about, like, there's other people at that job who would lose their job maybe mm-hmm their family would suffer for that. There's a lot more than just yourself to think about in those situations.
1: Well, and in those situations, we also have to take it with a grain of salt because PETA is known for taking videos of themselves beating up animals so that they can, again, play on your heartstrings and be like, this is an awful organization. Look at them beating this, Mm -hmm. I don't know, cow, whatever. So you also have to like remember that part. Yeah. Which, if I saw a video, like, right now, if I just pulled up Facebook and I saw a video of someone, you know, n- abusing an animal, I would stop and have to think, that's horrible, but what is the context of who's recording it? Mm-hmm. Because most people, they aren't just going to video it and throw it out on the internet without, you know, first contacting the people There's in some There's
0: some motivation behind every action. Yeah. And so, like like I was talking about earlier with the statistics... Who's doing it, and why are they doing it, and what message are they trying to send? By and doing are they a it. credible source? Right.
1: Yes. Well, and just because the worker is mm-hmm. not a great person doesn't mean that the business owner is. Yeah. Because yeah. corporate it could offices just be that aren't one person there. Yeah. Well, corporate- and there's
0: not a supervisor that's going to be there 24 right. seven to micromanage you. Well, mm-hmm.
1: corporate owners aren't going to be out on the farm. They're in their office doing. Yeah. St- they got paperwork. <laughs> they they have paperwork
0: to do. People. <laughs>
1: i don't think it's passed yet it's been two weeks in the supreme court circuit the eighth circuit mm-hmm. is okay. the the animal welfare people mm-hmm. that are like fighting against this thing says like the it the challengers suffer no concrete injury which okay. because it's not just because it damages
0: your reputation kind of thing I don't know much but about I mean, that. But, I don't know that you could really... You'd have to ha- be able to prove that in the court system, and I don't know that you would be able to do that beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah. Because you could, if you're on the other side of it, you could pull up, like, these people lost their jobs, this industry got this wrong with it. Like, there's a lot of different ways to combat that claim. Right. Well, and
1: I think, like... The dairy, I don't know what dairy it was, or, but I'm sure they suffered some sale loss. Oh, yeah. Especially if it's a smaller dairy or a mm-hmm. smaller operation. They're it's obviously going to hit gonna have, them a little yeah, bit more. They're going to have a completely different
2: aspect of what. <laughs> is like ruining their reputation. Yeah on the topic of cattle, Agnes and I are going to attend the herd that conference put on by the Extension office. It's a women agriculture conference in Lincoln on September 15th. It's a full day conference and then towards the end of the day we are going to watch a cattle herding demo which Temple Grandin will be a part of and there are several other
0: um, speakers. For the record, I would be going to this conference too, but I have prior obligations.
1: <laughs> I think Whitney asked us in the
0: group chat. Yeah. And I'm
2: like, but I don't want to go by myself. And I'm like, I'll go with you because I didn't want to go by myself either.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's down at UNL, right? Yes. On
2: campus?
0: I believe so. It'll probably be by East Campus, I would assume. Um, probably.
1: Probably on the on the livestock
0: side of well, UNL. Well, I can recommend you a good restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm assuming it would be on East Campus because that's where most of the ag stuff is. It says it's on the
2: Animal Science Complex. Yeah, so that... It's in the Animal Science Complex, I should
0: say. So you'll be on East Campus then.
2: Which we could, if we have time, we could visit the dairy 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 store and try the sweet corn ice cream, which Claire has informed me, pairs great with the blueberry it ice is cream. Really? so
0: good and it tastes exactly like sweet corn it does it is the, it is so sweet and creamy and you're like this is the perfect ice cream flavor i can't i can't imagine why they don't <laughs> sell it by the tub in stores uh, yeah and if you put it on top of blueberry it is extra delicious and it's yellow and blue which is pretty looking because it's mm-hmm. contrasting colors on the color wheel so you got some color theory and some delicious ice cream on your tongue so you really can't go wrong. And True. it's all made on and, the UNL yeah, campus. Yeah,
1: it's made from their
2: dairy. Yeah. Dairy farm. You know exactly where that dairy came that milk came from, came from their dairy production and then the ice cream was made right there on campus.
0: And it's really good. So so this is going to kind of be our transition, but so we're talking about production obviously. Uh, so I'm taking an organizational communication class this semester. Um and our latest assignment was to interview our grandparents about um, kind of how they work and I think that really applies to especially agricultural areas because we've gone from hand doing everything to um, more mechanized ways of doing everything and it's gotten a lot more efficient and I also feel like there's a difference in how locally sourced things are so when I was talking to my grandma and interviewing for this assignment she said um, that there was a a powdered egg production place that was kind of Near her, that she knew about, and some people worked there. They handpicked all the eggs from the chicken barns that were closed, and then the factory, everything was hand done. And nowadays, you would have um, people operating machinery to do those things. You probably would not have um, all your chicken barns on that same facility. You would probably ship eggs from one place to another. So I think that's really cool just to kind of have a flashback to what things were and what things are now. And it's really important to kind of see the difference and see how how much innovation is happening and really kind of be grateful for that but at the same time kind of evaluate how that's changed um, different values since that's what we've been talking a lot about values just having a little inner reflection on that I think is important to do uh this Past weekend, I went uh, and helped a family friend, I guess,
1: and I had to go in her chicken barn collect eggs. And I have zero experience with chickens, okay? When it comes to chickens, I, I'm like, okay, you're like a bird, whatever. You're like, you're tiny. I can, you know, move you out of my way really easily. And then like, I reached under this chicken to get an egg, and she like threatened to peck me. I pulled my hand out of there so fast. <laughs> I've never been pecked by a chicken, but I also don't know if I want to know what it feels like to be pecked by a chicken. Again, they're not the most mean animal, but it's like just the thought of like being hit with a tiny
2: little needle point nose. <laughs> We've gone to the point because our family, we have like 80 some chickens and we have some white uh, palm turkeys also. But that's besides the point. They've come to learn that when we feed them, that's when they need to get out of the coop. And so, because we have always, like, two or three that are always roosting. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know if they actually eat. They just roost 24-7. And they know, they've learned to get out and eat, and that's when we collect the eggs. And then they can go back because they've learned that we're not going to harm them. We just Mm want to take the egg.
1: Well, she, like, this chicken was broody, which Mm -hmm. for people that don't know, broody just means they're sitting on an egg for nesting. Mm -hmm. Like, they're, they're waiting for the eggs to hatch.
0: They're keeping them warm. But they're not going to hatch because they're not
2: fertilized.
0: Well, these were. uh, She does have a rooster, but she just still collects the
1: eggs for consumption because you can collect them before they get, you know, nice and warm. Um, (laughs) But... Before the baby starts growing. (laughs) Well, because she... So she has, I think it's 10 nesting boxes, but she leaves the last one on the top row because there's always a broody hen in there. And so she leaves them because she does take chicks, you know, Mm -hmm. and raises them up. And so the, the last, like that fifth nest was open and the chicken had moved to the second to last one and like you can't just switch nests when you feel like it so i had to take her out of that one and put her back in the fifth one and then take all the other eggs because like they can't take them out of the nest in a nesting box if it was like on the ground sure they probably could but most likely they're not but still so i had to like lift this chicken out Mm -hmm. and put her on her other nest she's messing up the whole system (laughs) i
0: know and then i'm like it's like when someone sits in your spot that you always sit in and you're just (laughs) like why this is my spot it's unnamed but then you know it's mine it's named and then you just and then you just like a chicken you just pick that person up and move them (laughs) to a
1: different (laughs) chair
0: yeah because like you you don't want to Pick eggs that have been
1: sat on for three weeks or so because there's a baby in there that's that or the
0: rotten or the rotten. Yeah, you don't want to cook that and you don't want to smell it if it's rotten. That's yeah, that is a rank
1: for sure. It is. I did pick up an egg that was just laid though. That was an experience. Those are
2: super warm, it was they're hot,
1: it was hot, they're toasty, and it was a little bit wet still. (laughs) I, I had a moment of being like, This is so cool, and then I was like. Overrated. Ah. <laughs> yeah. This is a little weird,
0: but like yeah. I, I feel like if I had a glove on, that would be okay. <laughs> but just bare hand, like chicken juices from <laughs> the inside. Just well, when you that's say just, it like that, that's just a lot, you know. When you say it like that, well, but that. that's what it is. <sighs> I wash my hands anyway; it's okay. Well, obviously, <laughs> but even so, <laughs> yeah. She but also like has a
1: lot of guineas, but like mm, when we do chicken cleaning, those are cleaning, annoying. Oh
0: yeah, but
1: they're good for ticks and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. they're they're really good if they know you. But mm-hmm. if you're a new person, they will set off in a line. They're law a little salty, and they will just yeah. scream at you until you move. But
0: going back to the egg temperature, like when we do chicken cleaning, usually it's pretty cold in the morning, and mm-hmm. I am I am the one who draws them, so that means I basically gut them. So like you crack her open and, like, stick your hand in there, it is toasty it's like <laughs> a uh-huh. hand warmer like it's a hand it's literally a hand warm so obviously i have a rubber glove on really soft mm. in there because it's guts it's all it, it's like really toasty and warm and i usually have cold hands as these two can attest to both of you are both of you have invited me to come and butcher chickens yep. this um, weekend mm-hmm.
2: yeah we have i think anywhere between 20 and 50 i'm not sure of the actual number but we will be butchering um some of our chickens this is gonna be like our second round. This will be for our own like own freezers yeah because the first round of chickens we did was with my mom's side and she has a bunch of siblings and then those siblings of course have my cousins and all that but we butchered a bunch i personally didn't get to because i was working um that day and agnes told me she has never personally butchered a chicken no
1: so i when i was like really young i don't even remember how old i was i probably was older than seven but not older than 10 i don't even know what farm it was it wasn't anybody in my family all i did was help like pluck the pin feathers Mm -hmm. and like make sure like all the other feathers got off
0: but that was like it so we do our chickens every labor day um we usually do about 150 we used to do closer to 200 but um less of my mom has seven siblings as Mm -hmm. well so basically whoever participates in the cleaning gets the most chickens that's how it works for us that's with us too. and when I was younger my job was to cut off the heads and the feet and we actually saved some of the feet because my um great uncle Morris would eat the feet but yeah so threw away the heads kept a certain number of feet always and then I got promoted to gutting okay which is mm-hmm. a promotion <laughs> it is a promotion um so then my cousin Katie she doesn't have to gut anymore, which she appreciates. She always has an excuse for what she's doing. She always <laughs> says she'll like washing her hair or has an appointment or something, <laughs> which obviously she doesn't. But it's like a running joke now. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's so much fun because it's like, it's like a family tradition. It's like a family gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always say that you can cuss on, chi- on chicken cleaning weekend because – just poop is not a good enough descriptor of what comes out of those things really <laughs> um the one job i will absolutely always refuse to do is clean gizzards because that is so nasty I hate and that i gut chicken so imagine <laughs> imagine how nasty it is oh, um, yeah so that's what our weekends are yeah. gonna look like um so super excited about that and i feel like we're gonna wrap up this podcast now so yeah um thanks for listening. Uh,
1: this was the Ag Knowledge podcast. We're glad to be back. We're glad to be Ooh. back. We got new season. We got uh, quite a bit of stuff planned. A
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, l- bunch of ag producers. Hopefully, new uh, we'll people to, to talk to and-
0: that we want to talk to. Anyway, yeah. we still have to. We still have to arrange it, but we're working on it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzels. Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as a part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 5 p.m. for more ag knowledge and listen to KWC 919 The Cat on the TuneIn app. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Surf Day by Marcos H. Bolanos, found on Freemusicarchives.org. The song was edited for the use of this podcast.